Hey guys, this is Jason Lane with Dare to Share Ministries. Thanks so much to tuning in to episode four of Gospelize with Greg Steer, Youth Ministry with a Kick. We're in for a special treat with this episode because Greg's breaking down his two favorite verses in the New Testament, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Uh, you are in for a treat with every last one couple of reminders before we dive in. Uh, make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Rate the podcast and review it. And then want to make sure that you all are aware we provide some really cool resources for you as you listen to the podcast. There's a listening guide, a discussion guide, so you can take it to your youth ministry volunteer team and break down the content and apply it deeper as a team into your context. And we make Greg's notes available so you can take all of this information, retrain it, re-preach it, make it your own, but make sure you check out gregsteer.org to get uh, take advantage of those digital downloadable resources. With all of that said, I'm excited once again to introduce Greg Steer. I've always been an every last one kind of guy. What do I mean by that? When I was a kid, I collected pennies. I wanted every last one. I collected $50 worth of pennies. I would collect them everywhere. I wanted every last one. Look under couches. Uh, I would look under the cushions. I would look on the sidewalk and collect. I collected $50 worth of pennies. And I wanted every last one. I also wanted every last piece of candy. If there was a piece, pieces of candy, I would want every last one. And I remember one time I came home from school and nobody was there. My mom was at work. My brother was still at school. And there was one piece of butterscotch candy uh, in the bowl. And I remember, I'm going to grab that last one. I grabbed it, boom, and I opened up the wrapper and I popped it in my mouth. But instead of just going in my mouth, it went down my windpipe, like literally cut off my breathing. And I don't know if you've ever choked to the point where you could not even gasp. But it felt like somebody took a pair of pliers and just closed off my windpipe. And I remember thinking, oh, no, this is not good. And I didn't know I didn't know how to get it out of there. So I ran to the phone to call 911. But I realized if somebody picked up the line on the other end, I wouldn't be able to say anything. So I ran outside really quickly. We live in an apartment complex. I went to the apartment next door, knocked on the door. Nobody came to the door. Nobody was home yet from work. I remember running out to the street and trying to wave a car down, but there was no traffic. And I remember stopping, thinking to myself, I'm about to die a very embarrassing death, death by butterscotch candy. And I remember praying, nine or 10 years old, praying, God, show me what to do. And I did not hear an audible voice, but a thought was planted in my brain at that moment, stand on your head. And I remember saying, okay, so I put my hands on the ground, I put my head on the ground, I put my feet in the air, and sure enough, that piece of butterscotch candy that had probably been lodged in my throat for at least a minute fell into my mouth, out of my trachea or whatever, and I remember coughing and gasping and wheezing and spitting out that saliva mucus-covered piece of butterscotch candy, thinking that thing almost killed me. But I won. I'm alive. And I'm gasping for air. And I just looked at that candy and I said, okay, every last one. And I grabbed that sucker and I ate it. Every last one. That's what I want to do. I'm an every last one kind of guy, right? Even with candy that tries to kill me. Listen, I pray that you're an every last one kind of youth leader when it comes to reaching this next generation for Christ. Will you be willing Are you willing 
to reach every last teen you possibly can with the gospel of Christ? Will you mobilize your students to reach every last one of their peers with the hope of Jesus Christ? I'm an every last one kind of guy. The Apostle Paul was an every last one kind of guy. Listen to these verses in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. People ask me, what are your favorite verses? They're these, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. Paul knew that his work was not done until every last person had every last chance to respond to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that if you're going to be an effective youth leader, you need to have this every last one mentality. And I know sometimes we get so consumed with that 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 kids in our youth group, and we need to be consumed with them. But so many times we're so consumed with the kids in our youth group that we forget about the kids that are not in our youth group, the students that still don't know Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior, and we need, to, we need to reorient our mindset around reaching every last one. Matter of fact, there are three every last ones in this passage that can be applied to every youth leader tuning in right now. Number one, every last teen must be gospelized. Every last teen must be gospelized. Now, what do I mean by this word gospelized? It's the old English word for evangelize. It's a word that Spurgeon used from time to time. William Tyndall used from time to time. And I love that word gospelized because the, the idea is that they fully embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. To gospelize is to proclaim Jesus. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him. That's what it means to gospelize, to proclaim Christ, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So I got to ask this question before you go on into this podcast. I mean, have you been gospelized? I mean, maybe you're a youth leader watching this and you say, yeah, I've been gospelized. Maybe, maybe you're not yet gospelized. Maybe you don't understand that message. Let me just explain it real quickly just in case. God, he created us to be with him. He loves us so much, but our sins have separated us from God. And those sins could never be removed by our good deeds. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, lived the perfect life we could never live, died the horrible death that we deserved, and he rose again after paying the price for our sin. And now everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life, and that life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. If you put your faith in Jesus right now, you receive that gift of eternal life. And Jesus comes through his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. That same message, if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, you can do that right now. But maybe you're watching and said, of course, I've already put my faith in Jesus. This is the message that we must take to every last teen. Every last teen must be gospelized. You know, there's one billion teenagers worldwide. There are 25 million teenagers across the United States. There are 46,786 teenagers in the city of Denver where I live. How many teenagers are in your city? Do you know? Every last one of them must have every last opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, last Friday I was uh, in San Francisco 
with my family. And I was there for spring break, but also to do some ministry time. And we spent a few days just enjoying uh, Northern California. It was great. And then on Friday, we had an opportunity uh, to go in the Google building, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> my daughter was like, I, I didn't know Google was a building. I thought it was just a website. I go, no, they, they have a building to produce the websites. And so we go in. They had free food, which was awesome. A perfect illustration of the gospel. The food at Google is free. It was awesome. But then we got a chance to go into the Salesforce building. And the Salesforce building is the largest, uh, the tallest building in all San Francisco. We went 61 stories up. You know the building's high when your ears pop on the way up, right? We get up there, and it is a 360-degree view, glass-walled view of the whole Bay Area. And we went, and we just looked out the window, and we took pictures. But I'll tell you what, while everybody else was taking pictures, I was stunned. Because when I looked down on that city, I saw a 360-degree view of a city that desperately needed the hope of Jesus Christ. And I could not help but start thinking about every last teenager and every last adult and every last child in that city having every last chance to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I couldn't help but think of Matthew 9.36 when Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And my heart broke as I looked at the city of San Francisco. But then I was encouraged because the people that got us in to that building uh, are part of a network of uh, gospel advancing leaders that they're called Area Youth Ministry. And Area Youth Ministry, AYM, is all about um, reaching teens with the hope of Jesus Christ and mobilizing Christian teens to reach their friends, and they have a vision for the entire uh, area of the Bay Area so that those teens can be gospelized with the message of Jesus Christ. They have a 360 view of their city. They're passionate about teens having that opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest with you, they have flipped the script on how they do youth ministry. Um, they They actually send out college leaders to youth groups in their city that do not have a youth leader and they provide the youth ministry for them. That's how they discovered Dare to Share. They were Googling, uh, you know, teen evangelism and Dare to Share popped up and they use our tools and training and resources and values to really help mobilize these other churches with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a way, they kind of burn the ships on traditional uh, youth ministry. And they've, they're doing it in a way that they can reach every last teen with the gospel. And when I think of that, burning the ships, I think of, you know, in 1519, Captain Hernan Cortez landed in Veracruz. And uh, they were going to come into the new land. And to discourage their his soldiers from going back home, he literally burned the ships. So there's no way to return. And I think, again, this area youth ministry, they burn the ships on traditional youth ministry. Maybe you need to be thinking about what ships do I need to burn so that I could reach every last teen in my community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be thinking this way. We had to do this at Dare to Share. You know, for 25 years, Dare to Share was known for two, doing two-day conferences. And we do these two-day conferences, and they were great. And we, you know, at the point, at some points, we were filling uh, small arenas uh, that held eight, 9,000 with teenagers, and it was going great. But we began to realize, you know what? There's got to be a different way because if we, there's 25 million teenagers in the United States, we have to think about how we can change our strategy to reach every last one. 
So we burned the ships a couple years ago, <clears throat> launched Dare to Share Live. Last year, we had 93 satellite sites. We're hoping to scale that to hundreds of cities eventually, and literally communities across America where students can get trained and reached, and teenagers can be gospelized, every last teen gospelized. So what ships do you need to burn? Maybe it's the ship that we call, we've always done it that way. Maybe you go to that same conference, that same, you, you do that same retreat, that same D-Now weekend, that same camp, and use the same kind of curriculum, and you do it again and again and again, and you're doing it because you inherited going to that same camp and doing that same retreat, and so you just kind of keep like a hamster in the wheel, just get in there, and you just keep running. You're not seeing any exponential results. You may need to rethink Okay, how do we do youth ministry effectively? You may need to burn the ships on the way you've always done it to do something new. Maybe you need to burn the ships on that traditional youth ministry philosophy. It's interesting because there's a lot of conversation going on about what should be our youth ministry philosophy. And a few years back, uh, Chap Clark asked me to be a part of a project uh, of writing a book uh, called Youth Ministry in the 21st Century. Five views. And in this book, uh, they have several uh, views of how youth ministry should be done. And we would each write our view, and then the others would comment uh, on that view, and then you'd kind of get the final response. And, you know, I'm, I'm like one of the only, like, non-PhD guys. So I'm like, you sure you want me? I'm not, I'm not a smart man. And uh, um, he said, yeah. I said, why? He said, because I'm talking to a lot of youth leaders that have this gospel-advancing philosophy. And I think it's a legitimate view. And so it's really interesting to kind of compare and contrast and even debate about what should this youth ministry philosophy be. But what I'm convinced of is that when you look at the book of Acts, when you look at the Gospels, when you look at the way the early church unfolded, their philosophy of all ministry was gospel advancing, disciple multiplying. It was about the mission, not the meetings. It really wasn't about a model. It was about a mindset. And so I look at gospel advancing not as a model of youth ministry, but a mindset for youth ministry, that movement that can really energize any model. So we need to have that mindset. And behind that mindset, ultimately behind it, is every last teen must be gospelized with this view of having a passion to reach the teenagers in our community, within our reach, and even uniting with other churches to do that. Which leads us to the next point. Every last teen must be gospelized. Every last youth group must be mobilized. Colossians 1.28, so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. Every last youth group must be mobilized. And usually we don't associate being complete, or the word there can mean mature in Christ, with being mobilized for Christ. But Jesus forever connected evangelism and discipleship in Matthew 4, 19 and 20, when he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. In other words, if you really want to be my disciple, then you really got to prioritize evangelism. I, I talk to youth leaders a lot. They're like, you know, I just, I'm just really all about discipleship. And I'm like, man, if you're all about discipleship, you've got to be all about evangelism. Because if you're not all about evangelism, you're not all about biblical discipleship. 
Because Jesus connects evangelism and discipleship in this passage. My buddy Doug Holliday with Sun Life puts it this way. Any any discipleship strategy that doesn't begin with and end with evangelism is not biblical discipleship. So if you're talking a lot about discipleship, but your students are actively sharing their faith, they're disconnected from biblical discipleship. Because Jesus said, when you follow me, you're going to fish for people. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is taking them on fishing trip after fishing trip after fishing trip, turning them into fishers of people. Why is evangelism so connected with discipleship? Number one, it, it requires dependence on God. One of the things I see with teenagers is they get scared to death when it comes to evangelism, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know why? It makes them pray. It makes them say, God, I can't, but you can Why? Because evangelism requires social equity, risking social equity. What means most to a kid is how they're perceived by their friends. And when they share the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are risking that perception. They're risking their social equity and putting it on the altar because they love Jesus more. You know, I was I was a product of a youth group like this. Yankee, who is the pastor that reached my entire family, his nickname was Yankee, right? Spoke with a southern accent, nickname Yankee. Weird story, but true. Uh, he burned the ships on traditional youth ministry. He he said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to really focus on mobilizing a generation of teenagers to reach a city. He believed the fastest way to reach a city was through the youth. So he trained us and he equipped us. He, we had 800 students in our youth ministry. We had 100 teenagers in our leadership group. Uh, and it was all about disciple multiplication and evangelism. And we were trained and equipped and mobilized for that. And you may be thinking, well, that's an anomaly. My teens are just too apathetic uh, to share their faith. They just don't care. Uh, this generation, Generation Z, is the first post-Christian generation in the history of the United States. You know, they're, they're too into themselves and their phones Uh, Beside all this, they're way too busy to evangelize. But too many times, I believe, we blame our kids instead of looking in the mirror. I remember um, when my dog was a puppy. My dog is named Patches. And when my dog was a puppy, uh, we crate trained him. And we would put him in this crate. And when he had to use the restroom, or the, the restroom, he didn't use the toilet. Uh, when he had to go outside, um, uh, he would whine, and we would take him out, and we would just put him out, and there you go. Once in a while, in the middle of the night, he'd whine in the middle of the night. It'd be a little frustrating, but we'd take him out. So one night, I'm about to fall asleep, and all of a sudden, I hear him whine. And I remember I had put him out before I went to bed. So I went down and took him out again. I was a little frustrated, put him outside, and he just walked around on the grass and kind of looked up at me like, what's up? And I'm like, what's up? Why don't you go? And he's like, I don't really have to go. I'm like, well, you whined like you had to go. And we're having this weird conversation, and he doesn't, doesn't go. So I'm frustrated, put him back in the crate, and I go back upstairs. I lay down, about to fall asleep. I hear him whine again. Ah, ah, ah. Now I'm, I'm kind of ticked. So I go down. I take him outside. I throw him. I gently place him outside and he's still he's looking up at me like in this look of mockery and confusion and I'm like why don't you just go and he's like I don't have to and I'm like go to the bathroom and go 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 pee you know and nothing and so now I'm I'm getting mad I threw him I gently put him back in his crate and I went back upstairs and man I'm I'm a little hot so it takes me a little while to calm down so I I'm about to fall asleep again no kidding he starts whining now I'm ticked. I'm so mad. 
that I'm actually breathing faster. And it was so weird. It's one of the weirdest things. Because as I'm breathing faster, he's whining faster. It was like, ah, 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 ah. And I realize it's not the dog at all. It's a whistling booger in my nose. It was never the dog. It was never the dog. It was me, the idiot. The idiot, right? So many times, we want to kick the dog instead of blow our nose, right? So many times, we want to blame the students. Well, they're to this. They're not into evangelism. They're a post-Christian generation. Instead of looking in the mirror and say, you know what? I am the youth leader. I'm the one God has placed here to mobilize this generation. And no, not all your kids are going to buy off on this right away, but you have to be the leader of youth. you got to be the one banging the gospel gong saying, listen, we are to be making fishers. Uh, we are to be fishers of people. We are to multiply the gospel. We're to unleash um, our, our, our students to reach their friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every last youth group must be mobilized and not just your youth group. Maybe you're part of a network. If you're not, I encourage you to join a network. And I want to challenge you to create that holy discontent in that network that we're not just about being together and meeting together. We are about that. We're about praying together. We're about health, encouraging each other. But we have a mission to accomplish together. And, and, and it may some people may be a little frustrated by that, but you gently, love, lovingly, Bang that gospel gone because every last teen must be gospelized and every last youth group must be mobilized. And finally, every last youth leader must be energized. Paul writes, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. We must be energized. We must be energized by prayer. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy. How do we get all of his energy? It's through prayer. It's through dependence on God. Paul's hard work, his never-ending labor, his physical, psychological, ministerial agony was all propelled by the energy of Jesus himself, which is accessed by Paul through prayer. That very energy we have available to us through prayer. I wrote this a while ago, but I'm gonna, I just want to read this word for word. Prayer is that holy, often unseen work done while we're sitting at our desks or driving down the road or walking down our prayer path. It is the most unnoticed, unapplauded work that we do, but it is the work that gets the most done because it unleashes the unstoppable power of the Trinity into our earthly efforts. The same power that created the universe in six days, the same power that's been holding both the seen and the unseen universe together for thousands of years, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and set him above every other name, that same power is available to each of us when we pray. It sharpens the axe, it chops down the trees, it revives the church, it regenerates the lost. It's the most underutilized, underestimated weapon in our arsenal. Prayer has the most potential to trigger true and lasting change in the depths of our own souls as well as in the hallways of our churches. Every last leader must be energized. Are you energized by the power of God unleashed through your prayer life? What if we spent as much time praying as we did preparing? What if we invested as much time in God's throne room as we did in our books? What if we had longer meetings with God than with anyone else? 
make time to pray. Some of you are tired. You're beaten down. I get asked all the time. My schedule is packed. It's full. I'm constantly, this been the busiest last three months of my life. But I've been busy for the last 28 years. I pastored for the first 10 years and was doing Dare to Share on the side. And then Dare to Share blew up. And I've been busy. And I'm gone a lot. And I have early morning uh, you know, I'm up early and, and work hard throughout the day. And I, all I'm saying that for is I relate with you because I'm sure you're busy too. And I, I know the, the schedule of a youth leader and, and pastors just packed and full and just exhausting. People have asked me, how do you do it? And I, my answer is prayer. That's it. Um, it's prayer. It's, I, I'm energized by prayer. I'm, I'm energized by the divine power of God. I could not do this without my times of prayer. And so when I get super busy, I take uh, super efforts to get away with God to pray. But don't let me be the example. Let Jesus himself be the example. Because Jesus was always escaping ministry opportunities to pray. Let Paul, the apostle, be an example. Because Paul, if you read in the epistles, he's constantly bringing up, praying for you always, all the time, with great affection in my heart. I mean, always giving thanks to God for you. I mean, he was in this constant prayer meeting that would be interrupted by, by prison for a while and, and, and preaching. But he was constantly praying to God, energized by prayer. And also energized by the mission. Are you energized by your mission? I think sometimes youth leaders lose their fire when they forget their mission. Because we just get caught up in the rat race, get caught up in the stuff. We get in this cycle. And we forget the, the, the vision, the mission of every last team being gospelized. So I want to encourage you to have that, have that vision and embrace that mission as your own. Verse 29 of Colossians 1, To this end I strenuously contend. To this end I labor. I agonize is the Greek word. Agonizo, right? I am in agony to this end. What is that end? For Paul, it was everyone, everywhere. What is it for you? That mission, that end game. You know what gets me is the mission of rescue. There's something about that idea of rescue. You know, if you've ever seen the movie Taken, you know, a dad that's just like, I'm going to, I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. You know, because you took my daughter and I'm going to rescue my daughter. And that's the whole movie. And we're watching with him and hurting for him and cheering for that daughter to be rescued. And the whole movie, you know, it was building toward that. And if you've not rented that because you're a Christian, uh, then you need to rent that because you're a Christian. I'm just telling you because it's an awesome movie. Anyway, there's something about rescue. Um, we want to stop human trafficking, right? We want to rescue those who are caught up in sex trafficking. And the entire ministries have been birthed out of that passion, and rightfully so. We want to rescue uh, those who are orphans, those who are, are widows, those who are hurting. We want to rescue them from, from poverty, right? Well, there's another rescue that oftentimes we miss, and that is a spiritual rescue. Because our kids are under attack, especially in this culture. You know, Paul was under attack. He, he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 11, 
23 through 26. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Could have just said 39 there, Paul, but that's okay. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Wow. Faced dangers everywhere he went. You know, I rewrote, don't tell the Apostle Paul, but I rewrote 2 Corinthians 11, 23-26 based on what teens need rescued from. I've worked much harder because my dad is pushing me to get a scholarship. Been in detention more frequently. Been mocked by my classmates more severely. Been exposed to death by the suicide of my peers again and again. Five times I received threats online. Three times I was pushed around by bullies. Once I was sexually assaulted. Three times my belief in God has been shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day totally wasted on drugs. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from the internet. In danger from self-harm. In danger from my fellow classmates. In danger from my parents' pill supply. In danger in my room. In danger in my friend's house. In danger at school. In danger from false religions. I've been juggling school and sports and friends and have often gone without sleep. I've known the hunger of longing for significance and the thirst of knowing I'm fully loved and I've often gone without hope. I'm spiritually and emotionally cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern of all my parents' expectations. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who's addicted to porn and I do not inwardly burn? These kids today, they need the rescue of Jesus Christ. They need you and your students and other youth leaders in the area to do what it takes to rescue them from Satan's grasp. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm kind of positioning this as a, a military operation, but it's kind of in my blood. I come from a military kind of family. Uh, my father was a sergeant major. I never met him, but he was a sergeant major uh, in the Korean War. He was the last prisoner of war. Uh, released from the Korean War. He was a war hero. Uh, my Uncle Jack was a Marine. Uh, my Uncle Tommy was in the Navy. Um, and there was my Uncle Dave, who was in the Army. Now, my Uncle Dave, um, he was in the Army for one term, right? But in that one term, which is basically one year, he received 40 medals and commendations. I want you to think about that. He received the Distinguished Flying Cross for heroism, he received the soldier's, uh, the soldier's uh, medal. He received several purple hearts. He was shot five times. He was hit with a mortar, a shrapnel four times. My, my Uncle Dave uh, is, is radical. I mean, he carries a vial with him of shrapnel that was removed from his body. And when he's talking to somebody who uh, is anti-American or whatever, he just takes out this vial of shrapnel taken from his body, and he starts shaking it. And when people ask, what is that? He goes, that's the sound of the price of your freedom. Then he explains the story, and then they usually go away because he's got crazy eyes like I do, all right? So he's just like this serious war hero. And he was telling me some stories. Uh, matter of fact, me and my family were at an Italian restaurant not too far from here, and he showed us the five bullet holes in his body. And he goes, oh, yeah, I got bayoneted. And he pulls up his shirt, and there's a four-inch bayonet scar. I'm like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> what happened? He goes, well, I had a, a friend that was taken by the VC, and I landed the helicopter. He was the crew, uh, the, uh, crew chief of a rescue helicopter. They'd fly into the hot zones and rescue the wounded. So, I mean, go right in the middle of the action. And they took, a, they, I saw them with one of my friends, 
taking taking him out in the jungle. And so I chased him down. Well, three uh, tackled me. Three enemy soldiers tackled me uh, and threw me on the ground. And one stretched out my arm and stood on it. The other stretched on the other arm and stood on it. The third guy stood over me with an AK-47 and a bayonet, and he started to gut me. That's what the scars from. He started to gut me. And I'm like, what'd you do? He goes, I prayed to God. And then I kicked him in the groin. I'm like, okay, well, there you go. And he goes, Greg, it was like a miracle. He goes, those two guys jumped off my arms because they were suddenly, you know, like, what just happened? The other guy dropped his gun. The guy with the bayonet dropped his AK-47, and it landed in my arms. And I just killed the guys, and I ran, and I rescued my friend, and I got back on the chopper. I go, what about your scar? He goes, I duct taped it. I flew another six hours. I'm like, oh, my goodness, you are Rambo. You are Rambo, right? But he was telling me that he hardly slept for that entire year because he wanted to take every mission, every single mission, every single mission. He'd fly day and night. He did not want to go without sleep. And I finally asked him, Dave, why? Why were you so obsessed with being on every mission and going into every hot zone and rescuing as many people as you could? He said, you know why, Greg? I was a little older when I went into the Army. And I looked at these young 18, 19-year-old kids, and I imagined them as my own kids. And he asked me the question, Greg, what would you do to rescue your kids? What would you do to rescue your kids? He goes, Greg, you would do anything. You would take five bullet holes. You would, you would, you would get bayoneted to rescue your kids. You wouldn't care. And I didn't care because I wanted to rescue as many as possible. I wanted to rescue every last one. And it made me think about this lost generation, marching toward hell, walking through hell, that are held captive by the enemy of our souls. And our weapons aren't AK-47s. Our weapons are love and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of prayer. And we need to do whatever it takes to reach every last one with the gospel of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I know you're watching uh, or listening to this podcast, but <clears throat> if you can see the words on the screen, I want you to say them out loud along with me of Colossians 1, and 29. And if you can't see those words, I just want you to listen to them in your mind and receive this as your charge, your creed, your soldier's orders from the commander-in-chief, God himself. Let me read this. We proclaim him, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Every last one. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every last youth leader listening to this. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Energize them deeply through prayer and this vision. And then, Lord, I pray they would mobilize the teenagers in their youth group, mobilize other youth leaders so that every last teen in their community can be gospelized. Give them, give them a 360-degree view of their city, and may they be compelled through your Spirit to reach every last teen with the hope of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. And now I'm going to turn it over uh, to Jason and Carrie to give you some tips, tools, 
and takes takeaways. Thanks. Greg, thanks so much for taking us uh, deeper into Colossians 1, 28 and 29. My name is Jason and this is... Gary. And we're here to share with you the takeaways, tips and tools from this podcast episode. Uh, like all of you, I share Greg's passion to reach every last teenager until every teen everywhere hears the gospel from a friend is the vision at Dare to Share Ministries. I know as leaders of youth, we all share that. And hearing Greg talk about every teen in the world being one billion teenagers. And then when we think about that in terms of the United States, there are 25 million teens in the United States. But that next step where Greg pressed in for all of us to ask that question, how many teens are in your community or in your city or in this middle school and high school that feed your youth group? And then you're able to get your mind around and contextualize, well, there's 3,500 kids in the two high schools and the middle school that feed our youth ministry. And that becomes my number. That's where I'm training and equipping my students that that's our piece of the pie. And so we know when we're reaching our community, that's something we can do. I can partner with other youth leaders, but then that's helping feed into that larger vision of 25 million teens in America and 1 billion teens in the world. And so contextualizing that vision, a uh, huge takeaway today. Oh, yeah, it's such a great one to really try to wrap our minds around and, and what part of that we're called to do, for sure. Yeah, I know for me, the best takeaway was really just thinking through Uncle Dave and his story. And really, his quote was so powerful and really helped me to pause and take a step back and just think about, you know, how that implied, you know, what it implied really for our group. Hmm. And, and uh, really, it was it was the way he said that he wanted to rescue as many as possible because he looked at them as if they were his own children. And yeah. it's such a powerful thing. I know most youth leaders, they see those teens really as as if they are their own children. I've actually told my group, I'll take a bullet for your kids, don't worry. Like I've told our parents, you yeah. know, if we're going on a mission trip, I'll got, I've got them, you know. And so such a great way to, to really think about how God has called us to love these teens in, in such powerful ways, for sure. Absolutely. And as, yeah. as a youth leader, it really is that mindset of what am I willing to do or what wouldn't I do to reach every last kid, not just in, in my youth ministry, but but in our community. And and I remember as a, as a youth pastor in a local church, I was so gung-ho for this vision. Like I, I just wanted to reach every lost teenager. And, and I just went 100 miles an hour, just all in for that. And in the midst of implementing that, I, I made a big mistake and I failed to bring my lead pastor into that yeah. thought process yeah. and the senior leadership within our church. And so I began to do things differently out of a place of passion, but it was how I went about it uh, that wasn't the best. And, and I missed a huge opportunity as a young youth pastor to bring my, my senior leadership, that lead pastor into that line of thinking to, to pray with him over that. Uh, Cause there's a, I would hope there's not a lead passion in the world who doesn't want to reach the people right, in their community. Right. And so for me to just kind of bypass that was a big mistake. And then the frustration and the pain that followed wasn't because of what I was doing, but how I went about that. So I just yeah. encourage you as you would implement this vision and implement gospel advancing ministry into your youth ministry, bring bring that senior leadership in. Let them to help them pray, you know, for you and with you and, and encourage you in that and, and lead you as you do that. Yeah, it's such great advice for sure. Absolutely. Have those conversations because it can, it can sort of, you know, ruffle a few feathers if Absolutely. You will, sometimes if they don't understand the full scope of it. And I know 
for us, when our team read Gospelize, it was really just taking a step back and thinking through, like, even just our, our weekly programming. Like, what were we doing that, that really maybe we needed to shift around priority-wise, time-wise? And Absolutely. Um, so for us, that looked like we set up an intentional time to disciple our middle school students by having our high school students pair up with them and, and really pour into them, not just how to study the Bible, but how to live life and how to share your faith and all mm. those sort of things. It was really great. And, Such a good tip, And Carrie. also, we, you know, we purposely intentionally really created some unique prayer times that that was when, when greg said one time i heard him say that the average church in america spends more time in announcements than in prayer, announces the prayer know, yeah. we <laughs> were convicted by that and we looked and we're like yeah that's us you know and so we didn't want that to be the case so we we definitely re- reprogrammed everything and reprioritized prayer oh that's yeah. powerful that's good yeah and you know it's amazing how youth ministry has changed in the last few years i mean I know just in the, the time that I was full-time youth ministry, it, it's really changed pretty dramatically. And so it was cool that Greg referenced this book, Youth Ministry in the 21st Century, that, that really does a great job of showing five views of um, what the different philosophies are kind of out there right now with youth ministry. Such a helpful tool, and we certainly hope that you check that out. I absolutely. Pick up that book. It'll help inform your youth ministry and, and, and equip you as a youth pastor. Uh, another uh, tool that we want to impart to you, share with you, is Dare to Share Live. Uh, coming on October 12th, 2019. Uh, when we think in terms of reaching every last teen around the world, but in your community, Dare to Share Live is a great rally point in your community or in your city uh, to mobilize other youth groups along with yours. Kids are trained at how to share the gospel. They get great inspiration that day and then go out for a couple hours on community outreach. The great thing about that happening on October 12th, it's, it's a live simulcast event. So we host it here in Denver, but 100 sites nationwide. So you're making an impact in your community, but then your team also get the idea of being a part of something so much bigger than themselves, knowing that it's happening across the nation and, and prayerfully this year, even in other countries. And it just helps our teens realize there's this bigger vision of reaching every teen everywhere. And if we all do our part in our communities, we can see that larger vision achieved. And so check it out, daretoshare.live.org and find out uh, where Dare to Share Live is closest to you or how to bring it to your community. But that's daretoshare.live.org. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I wanted to just point out to you, you may not be aware, but there's actually some additional downloadable free, 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 free resources attached to each one of these episodes. And I just have to tell you, Youth Leader, they are gold. Discussion Guide, get together your network or your leaders and go through this podcast together. Go through that discussion guide. Go through the fill in the blank you know, attachment that's there as well. And this episode, there's a bonus PDF. Extra, extra Extra free, 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 extra more. Yeah, it's good stuff. Hey, that Greg did that passage where he put it into sort of a modern and teen context. We thought that would be a super powerful thing for you to just utilize in your group and in various ways, be creative with it. And uh, we're just excited for you to get these tools and to take the movement further. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for real. It means so much. Until every teen everywhere hears the gospel from a friend.